ever wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. fully understand the clitoral complex, or as my guest today calls it, your unique pars intima. I recently saw a truly incredible video, The Anatomy of the Clitoris, Learn Integral Anatomy with Gil Headley. As soon as I saw it, I smiled, because I met Gil many years ago when he was having children in my childbirth class, and then I trained his sister as a doula and have loved following her as she's become a midwife, and even Gil's mother trained as a postpartum doula with me and worked together with me for several years. So now, years later, to see his work so well describe the clitoris, in his words, a beautiful gift and blessing of the clitoris, I knew I had to reach out to invite him to join us to share with you all his thoughts about the clitoris and any thoughts about the role it may play in labor and birth. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. My guest, Gil Headley, PhD, has been teaching integral anatomy in the dissection laboratory, buying keynotes and speaking tours and online via his extensive website and subscription portal at www.gillheadley.com. Since 1995, he is producer of the Integral Anatomy series, the Anatomy from A to Z Project, and the Nerve Project, as well as being the author of several books and anatomy models. He is based at the Institute for Anatomical Research in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where he teaches, films, and serves as board president. Welcome, Gil. Thank you, Deborah. It's great to be here with you. Well, it is such an honor to reconnect with you after all these years and see all that you're doing. And I have to just ask, can you tell me what motivated you to create that video? Well, I very early on in my dissection career uh, realized I knew nothing about the clitoris. <laughs> I mean, I had an eighth grader's knowledge of the clitoris. And, and that I became, I was interested in it because it's such a precious and important part of uh, human experience and human anatomy. And so I made an effort very early on to start looking up, you know, pictures and seeing if I could find how I could dissect that structure. And they were very rare, uh, a decent dissection image. And there was a book that I loved at that time. This is 30 years ago called the Color Atlas of Anatomy. This is not the coloring book that many people are forced to color. Okay. Color Atlas means a dissection atlas, basically dissection imagery. There was one picture in this atlas of this odd little wishbone on a piece of black felt. <laughs> and I was like, and it was like clitoris. And I was like, what? <laughs> no way, a wishbone, that's so cool. And so I, I, I spent several years just practicing dissecting it until I could show that sort of wishbone shape, basically the glands, the, 
the shaft and the cura or the legs. So I learned how to dissect that. And then over the years, I did that hundreds, hundreds of times and for classes to teach people about the clitoris. Uh, among other things in my class, of course, it wasn't the only thing I was doing, but it was always part of the show, as it were, to share that amazing structure. And then more books started coming out years later, maybe the last 10 years or so, written mostly by women who were trying to give uh, you know, more press time to the clitoris. And I admired their efforts and read their books and saw in these books many images that included this formation, the vestibular bulbs, it was called. And of course, these are graphical drawings, not dissections. The human body, when it comes to the actual tissues on the table, are, is very different than what pretty drawings people can draw. And so people were drawing these little little saddlebag balloons along, along with the cruce and the shaft and the glands of the clitoris. And I thought, well, it must be there. They wouldn't be drawing it. So where is it? I've been looking at this thing for, for a long time. And what it turned out was that they were hiding beneath some muscle tissue, the, the obospongiosis muscle that I was very fond of showing people. So I would show people that muscle tissue and that'd be the end of the story there. But it turns out I just needed to dissect further. So I dissected beyond that muscle tissue. And sure enough, there were the vestibular bulbs. Well, now the picture got even bigger on the table and I could be much more demonstrative about the actual sort of more, to more of the totality of the complexity of the structure there. And again, it's like, it really depends on the anatomist or, or the author who's talking exactly how many tissues they want to include in the organ that we can call the clitoris. And well, you could say the thing about the same thing about the brain too. The brain's got a lot of different shapes and parts to it. And you could, where are you gonna draw the line? Where's the brain end? Most people will say, well, it definitely ends when you're not in the skull anymore. You know, but you know, is it all the brain or is that the brain stem? Is that the brain? You know, so the same thing with the clitoris. It's like, well, does that is that included? Does that include? So I leave people to their own their own choices as to what they want to include, but I just show all the tissues as best as I can. So I have to say, in like looking at your work and the I encourage everybody will put the link to the video in the show notes to watch it. I find it really shocking that most medical providers, especially obstetricians, nurses, and midwives, don't learn about the anatomy of the clitoris in their training, nor do they consider any role that it might play in childbirth. Why is this not included? Why do you think it's not in medical text? Well, the clitoris is rediscovered along with something like the enteric nervous system, which was in the textbooks in the 1900s and then eliminated. Why? I don't know. They changed the curriculum. It wasn't enough time. They didn't feel like it or they were afraid. They, they, they didn't want to talk about it because they were ashamed of their of themselves or, or they just didn't understand it. But the clitoris was known and well described centuries ago and just kind of got forgotten. And I think it was intentionally forgotten in the process of literally destroying it under the Victorians and the Protestant moralists of the 19th century. So simultaneously were promoting, promoting circumcision. So circumcision and, and, and clitoral cauterization were actually, you know, sort of medical moral procedures that were advocated by the, by the Protestant moralists of the, of, the, uh, of the 18th and 19th centuries and the Victorians in their effort to suppress uh, what they considered to be that devil uh, of sexuality. So the body was very much put aside and, and even punished in its pleasures uh, by, by means of circumcision and clitoral cauterization. Now, fortunately, you know, clitor uh, clitorectomies and this sort of attack 
on, on the pars intima that was waged in, in those periods uh, is now illegal in, in, I don't know, 37 states at least, thank goodness, but circumcision remains the norm uh, and the most common, uh, you know, surgical procedure in America. So the, th so the thing is, I think it wasn't only forgotten, I think it was actively suppressed and repressed as part of a, of a, of a cultural time period whose legacy lives on in our current uh, culture. So that ignorance, I think, was strategic, actually. And that's interesting to hear because not only does it impact people with clitorises in their entire life, but certainly with childbirth. In our, I don't know if you heard, but in our episode 26, Margaret Jowett discussed and her theory about the role of the clitoris in labor. And I'm wondering if you considered that and what some of your thoughts might be. Well, I do personally tend to resist some statements that are often made about the clitoris, that this is the only human organ known to, known to us that's uh, there exclusively for pleasure. And I think to myself, I've seen every tissue of the body, literally, uh, hundreds and hundreds of times, put my hands on them, dug them out, cut them apart, looked inside of them. There's nothing in our body that is of, of single purpose. <laughs> Everything is multi-purposed. And it's beautiful. It's incredible, actually, how, how multi-purpose. Multi I mean, we, they'll say the liver has 500 functions. Well, are we going to tell me that the clitoris has got one function? That, that seems ridiculous to me. So I, I'm, I'm more on board or lean into those who would ponder the many possible roles that the clitoris may play in our lives in addition to pleasure. It's obviously for pleasure because clearly it seems to feel good. <laughs> if, you've yes. got, if you've got one on a good day, at least, I mean, they can also, uh, just like a penis can be in pain, a clitoris can be in pain. You can have adhesions and, and, and uh, all kinds of problems, of course. But for the most part, uh, operating as, as directed, the clitoris uh, appears to definitely have a major role in the experience of pleasure, but also, like, maybe we can think a little deeper about... Uh, you know, how, what kind of programming we have. I mean, I love your title of your podcast, Sarcasmic Birth, which I know is not the rule, but it doesn't mean it couldn't be, <laughs> you know? In other words, it That's seems for sure. the biblical, you know, injunction that childbearing shall happen in pain seems more of a curse to me. Now, it, when our subconscious minds adopt a curse, uh, literally with, uh, you know, the emotional power of that, then it's not surprising that people do give uh, give birth and, and pain and suffering. But when you have a title like orgasmic birth, well, that sort of gets the subconscious mind enkindled with a new idea. And I don't, and when you, okay, let me, let me hack away at Freud for a minute here. I'm not the biggest Freud. Yeah, please do. I have friend, friends who are huge Freud, Freudian fans. But for me, like Freud made, and he was a Victorian, okay? He was from that era, and and I don't think he had quite straightened out his, his sex mind, to be honest. And I'm not Freud, he's an expert or anything like that, but I can say that the distinction that he made where, a, a, for instance, a clitoral orgasm was considered like a, a juvenile or an infantile phenomenon, and a vaginal orgasm was considered to be the mature representation of an orgasm, to me is the most flatly absurd thing you could possibly say, anatomically speaking even, because when you do witness the entire structure of the clitoris, you realize that there's only a clitoral orgasm, and that, there, that, that, that 
the uh, for instance the urethral sponge, which is also part of the 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 complex structure that I'm describing. The urethral sponge, which is kind of the anterior wall of the vagina, if you were say standing up, you know, if you're having penetration, and and you have a in your particular endowment, uh, especially enriched nervous complement of of the what I call the deltoidal nerve there, then you're gonna orgasm from stimulation from that. If your clitoris is more proximate to the opening of the vagina, you'll orgasm from penetration. If your clitoris is less proximate to the opening of the vagina, you'll you'll more likely orgasm from from manual stimulation or oral stimulation. So where you have an orgasm in your clitoris is variable from person to person. I have worked with many, many cadavers. You can if you can look with the anus of a cadaver and look at the position of the rectum relative to the base of the clitoris or the or the urethral sponge, it's clear that some people will be poked directly <laughs> with anal penetration in their clitoris. It's not that, that the anus is being stimulated, which is can be, uh, but it's it's more about how the, the hundred roads to the clitoris, basically. And perhaps one of those roads is a baby's head coming out the road, right? So if you're if your baby's head is just moving in and out, you know, at the base of the clitoris and your legs are spread open and you're screaming, why wouldn't that scream possibly be for pleasure rather than for pain? It seems like a perfectly legitimate option to me. And given the, 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 that the, the whole complex is really designed to enjoy pressure, not so much as friction, then what, what greater pressure does a woman endure in a birthing in the birthing moment, then the pressure of the head of the of the baby on the clitoris. Uh, so woo, I don't know. Here I am describing something that I've witnessed several times in my, in my own home. Yes. Uh, but I I it's it's not my physical experience. So I I can't speak to it, but I can speak to the anatomy and say, well, the position is there, you know, for uh, internal pressure on the urethral sponge and the base of the clitoris. Some people enjoy a stretching feeling. It's again, our our pleasure orientations are very varied. I like to distinguish between habituation to a pleasure pattern and then the actual pleasure potential of the particular endowment of a given person. So, in other words, if you're whatever, seven years old and you're masturbating yourself on your stuffed animals, you're gonna have a pattern. Maybe you like to be face down. Maybe you like to be face up. Whatever that pattern is in in your in your in your childhood exploration of of self pleasuring, often will carry on carry on for your whole life. In other words, that's just what you do, and you and you might not be even into exploring beyond that. And that's that's your pattern. Uh, but your actual nervous endowment can be very distinct from. Whenever you figured out when you were five or seven or 12 or 13 or 15 or 16 or what have you. So it, it may be that birth itself, you know, might for a given individual be the most uh, orgasmic thing they run into. I mean, I had a woman in my class, we were talking about whatever, pierced nipples. And she said, I had the most powerful orgasm in my life when my nipple was pierced. I said, what happened when, when the other one was pierced? She said, it was the most painful thing I'd ever experienced in my life. <laughs> So you can't call it really, um, right? But I do feel like those factors, you know, of, of differential nerve distribution, a person's habituation to pleasure, and a person's pleasure potential are all factors that that play into the way in which a person may be s stimulated by the birth process. 
I really appreciate you bringing in all those different facets. And I would just like to add one more. I think that in most of our hospital birth, we're literally putting people down, right, onto their back. And wouldn't position play a role because getting that pressure into that clitoral complex, wouldn't that need to be what most people would do on their own when they're left alone is lean forward? Do you see a difference there? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think there's a single element of our establishment birth practices that lend themselves towards towards birth, actually. <laughs> you know, no less orgasmic birth. So there's there's no there's no um no lack of inhibitory mechanisms. I mean, j unless you're into like you know public sex, which is like right because I mean right. I mean because this is the situation. Not many people are really into public birth, actually, because it is kind of close right. to public sex, and 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 most people are inhibited by that rather than unleashed. I mean, there are exhibitionists among us, but in general, I would say most people are are inhibited by the hospital experience both with respect to birth and pleasure. Yes. How many times does a doctor invite a partner to, you know, pleasure their birthing partner? Probably not often. Right. No, we're leaving pleasure off the agenda in birth. That's why we're here, right? To reclaim it, talk about it. And I'll with that, I have just, it's going great, right? And you're a part of that. I think we're really helping people look at their bodies, their anatomy, the process, their beliefs in a different way. And I'm all about relanguaging. And you just kind of briefly kind of mentioned that you have a new word, the delic, how do you say delictal? The delictatal, delictatal. It's a, it's a Latin word because anatomists love Latin words and Greek words. And so whenever I'm making up a new anatomy word, I always make sure at least I get it in the right language that will be acceptable. But pudendal has a fraught history. It goes way, way back. We're talking way back to the, you know, this sense of shame around the, you know, our sexuality and our sexual anatomy. And I'm tired of saying the word. I'm like, why do I keep repeating this word? I did this when I was when I was a churchgoer, and this was a long time ago, when you know, I'd go to church and have to say, I'm not worthy over and over again. Every Sunday I'd have to say I'm not worthy. I'm like, well, aren't there's no point in this to make me worthy? I'm I'm feeling unclear here. It's it seems like a conflict, a tension in my soul to pronounce my unworthiness. Words are very powerful, you know, in the midst of what's supposed to be a blessing towards worthiness. So similarly, with the language of anatomy, when we when we embrace words whose essential meanings are negative, then we're branding ourselves with that that negative energy. And I feel like uh, anatomists are not going to get around to it. They're wedded to their tradition. I mean, thank goodness it's not just like Mr. Smith's button or something like that, which it could very well have been called or more like Luigi's button because there's a lot of Italian <laughs> names around our body. But the naming by name has is receding. We're, we're taking, the, we're taking the, the surnames out of the body and identifying things more particularly. But I'd like to take that a little further and take out these, these words that are really associated with cultural baggage with respect to what we're naming that have really nothing to do with the actual structures, uh, their positions, their shapes, their relative relative position relative to each other, which is usually how anatomy words are named. Something is major, there must something must be minor. If there's something uh, you know, anterior, there's something inferior or, or posterior. If there's something superior, inferior, et cetera, like that. So so why are we using words like parts of shame to describe 
our, our, our sexual anatomy. So that's why I like pars intima. I, I like that because it emphasizes the intimate aspect of our of our um, sexual nature rather than its generative aspect, which again is more of that cultural baggage and religious legacy. Nothing against religions. I've been part of religions. So, however, we, we don't need to uh, be stuck in our religion. We don't need to be stuck in our anatomy. We don't need to be branding our own bodies negatively every time we pronounce the correct anatomical words. So, delectatal, I love because it basically means uh, delightful. So, instead of pudendum, meaning shameful, we can say delectatum, meaning delightful or, or having or to do with delight. Uh, so, yeah, delectatal nerve, artery, vein, that works for me. I love it. When I heard you say that in your video, I just lit up because I, I agree with you. The words we use so often bring us to shame and in childbirth pain as well. So we have really a language that's negative. So when you think about orgasmic birth, you know, when you thought about coming on the podcast and with your wealth of understanding of anatomy, would you recommend to someone that's listening right now that may either be pregnant or thinking about becoming pregnant um, or a partner, what would you say are important aspects to consider to prepare for birth? Well, with respect to your your theme here, which I treasure, don't expect birth to give you an orgasm if, if, if you don't know how to give yourself an orgasm, <laughs> right? In other words, right. so, so you have to be be in 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 a positive and uplifting relationship with your own body in advance of that experience if you you know if you want to have a different experience in other words if you are accustomed to pain in your body in every way and consider that to be a value expect some more pain coming right in other words that's your preparation although so many of us are married to the concept of suffering as salvific right this is this is in the way of a different experience, right? Suffering theoretically was covered. That's right. In other words, we, we got that down. You know, everybody is, you know, our culture is more than happy to listen to you talk about your suffering some more. And that gives them a chance to talk about their suffering. We can all suffer together. Well, that's one model of living. And I, 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 I'm going to pass. I'm a hard pass. I was there. I did that, been there, done that. So how about we, how about we allow ourselves to enter into a positive relationship with pleasure. I don't mean a little pleasure, but a lot of pleasure because our bodies are friggin' designed for massive amounts of pleasure, actually, more so than we even imagine. And even beyond our sex function, in other words, our spiritual function is, is pleasurable. So it, it's, not, it's not to say, oh, uh, you know, I'm calling you all to, you know, a life of genital pleasure and hedonism. It's to say that our, in our culture, we'll react to the very first instance of pleasure in our commitment to pain and our belief that suffering is salvific. So the shift has to be towards an admission that part of the gift of the human body that we've been granted in a, in a mortal life, uh, in an incarnation as we experience it, is, is that we are built for pleasure. And, and we may have a lot of cultural baggage around that pleasure, and you may have a lot of cultural baggage as you, ask, as you enter into, say, a birthing experience for yourself. So so you have to give time to inspect your beliefs around pleasure if you want to have a different experience of birth. Thank you. I agree 100%. So well said, Gil. So is there anything else from the work that you're doing that you'd like to share with people that are preparing for birth about their body, about their part intima? 
I would say that you literally have to go into a, a thought bubble because the, the, if you're just watching comedies about delivery and the hysteria of the birthing event, you'll, you'll get the wrong message. The message should be, and I offer this message to you, you are beautifully and perfectly designed for exquisite expression of human form in birthing and that you shouldn't, there's no need to doubt your perfect competence to birthing and your, your self-permission to uh, a, a static experience of, of it, uh, a mystical experience, a spiritual experience, which doesn't exclude the pleasures of the body. It's all one grand, beautiful picture. And so I would just encourage people to, I mean, I don't know who published it or who wrote it, but what to expect with your expecting, throw that book in the garbage can. I've never seen a more toxic list of things to fear <laughs> than, than in that book. Uh, and that there's a different way to look at your potential experience and, and to create a positive expectation for your experience, because that's what you'll get, a beautiful, positive experience. Thank you, Gail. Such wonderful words of wisdom. And I know many people are one that going to want to follow you. How can they learn more, see your videos, join your courses? Can you tell us where people can find you? Type gilheadley.com and misspell it and you'll still get to me eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just my name, G-I-L-H-E-D-L-E-Y. I have a bottomless website with a whole lot of stuff on there. Lots of free stuff. You just want to learn about your body in general. I have a Easy Rider membership and inside of that free membership, uh, there's a little course called Exploring Pars Intima Models. Uh, so in that, I do a, a dissection of a clay model that I built because that's a little more tolerable for most people. So I built a beautiful clay model, and then I dissect it on camera in a conversation I have with a dear friend, Sue Hitzman, uh, who's my guest on that particular uh, episode. And then uh, if you want to dive deeper, I actually see dissection anatomy with re regard to these aspects. It's, it's up on my website as well, but in the, in the paid uh, membership subscription. Uh, also, I have a bottomless YouTube channel as well. I have so much free stuff on the web. You could literally spend many hours just, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know, probably 30 hours just watching free stuff. That's a lot of time. That's like a couple of seasons of a good show. Uh, but yeah, if you go to my YouTube channel, Somanaut, or just type, Gil Headley or Summonaut on YouTube, you'll come up with my channel. And uh, there's, I don't know, now 60, 70 videos up there, including this one that Deborah has kindly mentioned with respect to the quitters, which I think has about 70,000 views as of now. People just keep watching this video. And uh, and the, it's interesting because the the I have a video called The Amazing Foreskin that's rapidly catching up to the clitoris. <laughs> so eventually they'll meet, they'll meet and make love together on my YouTube channel. <laughs> so... Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Gil. For everyone that's listening, we'd love to hear your takeaways. What was your favorite part? We hope that you'll respond, write us back, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thank 
Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.